Welcome back to Season 2 of the Suburban Motivation Podcast. Join me, Brad, each week as my guests and I share incredible and powerful sobriety stories. We are here to show sobriety as possible, one story at a time. Let's go. Mike found that alcohol would help him forget about his personal insecurities, and as a teenager, he found out he loved the way alcohol made him feel. He was always the new kid and had a hard time finding his place in the world. Mike got sober after attending a boys' school, but him and alcohol would cross paths again in his early 20s. Mike was a daily drinker and rarely took breaks during his drinking career. On November 11, 2021, Mike felt different about things and began his sober journey. Mike never set out to quit drinking for good, but he's glad he did. This is Mike's story on the Sober Motivation Podcast. Sober Buddy has a brand new community section to the app. I can't wait for all of you to check out the new live Zoom groups we are hosting two times per day. And you can also plug into the feed in the private groups that are also available in the app. So track your sober days and get connected with others all in one place. Download the Sober Buddy app today, YourSoberBuddy.com or your favorite app store. Welcome back to another episode of the Sober Motivation Podcast. Today we've got Mike Kinnenbrew with us. We played a clip of one of his tracks in a previous episode. It was incredible. Mike, how are you doing today, buddy? Man, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Brad. Of course. Well, like all the episodes, why don't we get started off with the beginning? What was it like for you growing up? Well, I'm a preacher's kid. Uh, so I, uh, I was born in Florida and then we moved around like we were fugitives. It seemed like every year we were, we were in a different place. I was in a different school and uh, my dad was a Baptist preacher and he was preaching at different churches. So I was always the, the preacher's kid in a small town at a new school. And uh, we didn't have any alcohol or anything like that in the house. My, my parents were both teetotalers. Um, I don't know that I ever heard them say that it was wrong, you know, to drink, but it was just, it was something we didn't do. I never saw. And uh, so I was your typical rebellious uh, teenager. We moved to, to Georgia right before I started high school. And, you know, I just started experimenting with alcohol then. And I was too young to know what the hell I was doing. I was, you know, ninth grade, I think the first time I had a drink and, uh, and, and I went, I went all in from the beginning and, and, and it went bad. You know, I think it was maybe a blessing that it went bad in the beginning. So I wasn't able to take a, a, a slow road to addiction. I just, from the beginning, I, I got caught every time I got drunk every time I got busted. Something bad happened every time. So, um, so I started drinking and quit drinking when I was in ninth and 10th grade. And, uh, I, I had been getting into so much trouble that I ended up getting uh, sent away. I had to go live in a, a home for boys, uh, in, in high school for about a year and really kind of cleaned up my life then and, and came back senior year of high school and didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't do anything. That was your reformed story. Good kid. So through, uh, the rest of my teenage years, I remember on my 21st birthday, didn't have a drink, didn't have a, anything. And it wasn't until I was in my mid twenties when, you know, I'm hanging out with other, other friends. And one of my friends who was a, he was a pro tennis player. And I was, I, I thought he was so cool. And uh, the guy had 
great personality, incredible talent, money, popularity. And, uh, and, and he was like, what do you mean you don't drink, you know? And, and I was like, I don't, I don't even know. I just quit when I was young and never started back. And, uh, he said, we're going to, let's figure out what you like, you know? And by this time I, I didn't think that it was wrong or anything like that. And so, okay, well, let's figure out what I like. Cause at that point I didn't think I liked any of it in ninth grade. I certainly didn't like the taste of beer. And, um, so he would make me, uh, different drinks and, uh, he'd go, okay, well, this is this and this is that. And, and I would try them and we settled on, uh, that I liked vodka tonic, I think is what it was. And they go, okay, well, so this is the kind of scenarios where you would order a vodka tonic and you don't want to, you know, never show up and order a Jack and a rum and Coke. Cause now you're not, you're not a frat guy. You're out of that, you know, that window has closed. So this is what you'll get. And you can drink this at parties. And a lot of it was just like, I didn't fit in when I went to these social uh, uh, events because I didn't have a drink and I didn't know what to drink. And so he was kind of trying to take me by the hand and show me, you know, this is, this, this looks, this is passable. Order a, order, order vodka and, 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 and tonic or vodka soda. I ended up settling on uh, Tito's and soda with two limes. And um, so, so that was, that was sort of my beginnings of it. And, uh, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the feeling that I got when I'd have a drink, two drinks. And, uh, and we started keeping it in the house. I got married when I was about 26 and my wife is a complete opposite of me. I do nothing in moderation. I, I, I don't even understand moderation and she is a picture of moderation. And, uh, so over the, the slow haul of my mid twenties to my thirties, I'm 45 now, I just started drinking more and more. If there's nothing wrong with it, why not? Why not do it? You know, I come from a, this religious background where you secretly felt like you were doing something you shouldn't do. And when I was liberated to go, OK, well, there's really nothing wrong with this from a, some sort of sinful or spiritual perspective. It's fine. And uh, so I would do it. And it just started creeping up from one to two drinks. I remember my wife, Lindsay, would have a a comment about she called said three beer Mike is uh you know not he's not cool two beer Mike is fine three beer Mike is is too many and that was in the early stages of me picking up alcohol again and uh man I went so far beyond three beer Mike over the course of the years you know it's just chasing a feeling and the longer you go the more it takes to get that that feeling and so by the end of it you know, I was drinking. That's it was a question every day of how soon could I start? When could I? When could I have the first drink? What did I have to do that day? And uh, when I gotten that out of the way, you know, I'd get up. I've always been into exercise and working out, so I'd get up, get that out of the way. Um, any work that I needed to do, get that out of the way, so that I could kick back and make make a cocktail. And uh, and then I didn't stop until the day was over. That's sort of the, the journey that, that I took. C.S. Lewis said the sl safest road to hell is the gradual one. Uh, soft underfoot. You know, you don't realize that it's changing so much. But I went from three beer Mike back in my late 20s being sort of a red flag, a warning sign to uh, laying in bed at night, you know, in my early 40s, just sort of kind of counting for the 
sake of counting, all right, how, how much did I have today? And coming up with like 10, 11, 12 cocktails that I've made through the, through the day. I hear you on that. What, what was that like for you though? The progression there, did you think something's up? Like, did you try to stop? Did you wait? You know, I woke up many mornings, like that's it. You know, you hear that story a lot for a lot of people, like that's it. What was, what was that like? Yeah. I never attempted to stop until I stopped. I should, I should add in. So, you know, you said, you know, we talked about music as music. Uh, so I write songs, sing them, perform them, record them. But um, when I moved to Macon, I got a job because I was a preacher's kid. My wife was starting medical school and I got a job uh, leading the music at, at the church, at a, a church we, we would join. And shortly after that, I got asked to, to work with the teenagers there. And so I've been doing that for about 15 years. So during this entire progression of me going from a kind of uninterested, moderate drinker to a full-time, you know, everyday, all-day drinker, I was holding down a job uh, working with teenagers, uh, mentoring, discipling, and, and leading music at a church, you know, the whole time. So the journey of it was um, barely noticeable. You know, if you if you if you took me from where I started to where I ended up, if you took me there in a year's time, I would have had a real wake up call. You, you know, you would just feel the the descent. Um, but but the gradual descent over 15 years was hardly noticeable. Um, I think the people closest to me were. I, man, I don't know if you can relate, but I had nobody other than my wife ever tell me that they were concerned about my drinking. And I, maybe I was hiding it really well, or maybe just, you know, we, nobody likes to say something to someone that they don't think they're going to want to hear. You know, um, nobody likes to weigh in on someone else's personal decisions. That's, that's tricky territory. But that journey, it was, uh, it was very slow and gradual, barely noticeable. And, and there was definitely a lack of any voices from the outside telling me, hey, you're headed for trouble. So you begin to cross. I begin to cross certain lines, you know, um, where I live in Macon, especially in the, uh, the subculture of Macon that I that I spend a lot of time around is very, very wealthy, very affluent, very connected people. And uh, so drinking is a huge part of it. So I'm around it a lot. And another huge part of it is um, drinking and driving. You know, I, I had never seen anyone be so sort of cavalier about taking a quote unquote roadie. And I didn't even know what that was the first time someone asked for one. And then uh, I was sort of taken aback at how casual the bartender handed them a styrofoam cup and sent them on their way, you know? And so for a while, that was something I was like, I would never do that. But then I crossed that line and I would ride around with a cocktail in my car. If I, if I was driving on, you know, to Atlanta, to Athens, one of these one, two hour trips, um, I would have a drink in the car with me and uh, just to sort of pass the time. And uh, so I began to cross that line and, one night I got I asked to do a guest spot to come up and sing a couple songs in Atlanta. I got there and I was told I was going to go on later. So I was sitting at the bar, um, just having cocktails, waiting until I would go on. I had a few. And then I get on, I do my thing. And uh, I hadn't eaten the whole day. It was getting late. 
so I went to a, a sports bar to get some wings and had a couple beers there. And I've had way too much by this time because it was summertime. I had been sitting by the pool all day having drinks before I even went to Atlanta for the for the show. I was going to sleep at my in-laws house that night and I left that bar. It was only about a mile to my in-laws house. I got pulled over right inside their neighborhood. I got pulled over and a quiet upper class neighborhood in Avondale Estates, uh, suburb of Atlanta. And I've got the blue lights flashing. I'm in my in-laws driveway. My father-in-law comes out on the, on the front porch. This is about five years ago. And he's looking to see what in the world's going on. And he sees his son-in-law, you know, being pulled over. And then he sees me get out of the car and do the field sobriety test. And I don't know what I would have blown if they had asked me to, if they, if I, they had made me do it, but they gave me the choice, obviously. And I said, uh, I, I, I'm not going to blow. So they took me to jail that night, the Cab County jail, which is not a, not an easy one. And, uh, and so I spent the night in jail that night and man, I was shook from that experience. So that was a real wake up call for me. Uh, got home the next day and, you know, I ended up getting off, got, got off uh, because of some mistakes that the police officer made. But I remember that next day thinking, I, I, like you said, I think I'm done. I don't know that I'm ever going to drink again. That was on a Tuesday and I had my first beer on that Friday evening. Uh, and that was the only break I ever took until I, until I actually quit. What was that like though? Okay. So they, they pull you over and then, and then you didn't do the breathalyzer, but they can still like go through with you're intoxicated. They can obviously smell it and all kinds of other things. Right. Yeah. You go yeah. there, you get the charges, these court cases and stuff usually carry out for quite some time. And yeah. so you were, you went, you went to jail and then a couple days later you're back at it again. Yeah. I was so shook from that experience, you know, um, there's nothing like being handcuffed and taken to jail there. You know, this, you, your position in society immediately changes in those moments, you know, going from a free person to a not free person in society is forever. Even for I, mine was less than 24 hours, but it was very disturbing. And uh, when I got back the next, that was on a Monday night when I got back on Tuesday and I was a wreck and so shook and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and, uh, and then Friday afternoon, just had a beer and was like, I'm going to attempt this again, but I'm, I'm under no circumstances. Am I going to drive when I've had a drink and I'm going to not get drunk. I'm going to just do it like a responsible person. Uh, I'm going to drink in moderation, which goes against everything I know about my ability to do anything in moderation, but and then as you or anybody who struggles with this can relate, you could tell my story blindfolded that it just slowly started creeping right back to where it was. You know, if it took me 10 years to get from uninterested casual drinker to, to getting pulled over that night in my in-laws driveway, if it took me 10 years to get there from that Friday, it maybe took me, a month to get right back there um, to where I was, you know, doing the same thing, crossing every line all over again. So I just kind of continued and uh, was pretty good at hiding it. I think, I don't think anybody, including my wife knew how bad it was, 
how much I drank. And then on Halloween night, I I went trick or treating. This was not the this past year, but the year before. Um, went trick or treating with the kids. I had been drinking in the afternoon. I stopped and was drinking coffee and sobered up so that I could go out. And uh, we went trick or treating. And I got back home probably around eight or nine. Made another drink, maybe another one after that. And then I got a text from a friend who said, hey, can you come over? My wife, they'd only been married like a year. My wife, she, we got in a fight and she went to her parents' house. I think it may be over. I need, you know, I need a friend. And uh, I thought, yeah, man, I'll, yeah, of course. You know, so I hop in the car with a drink, go over there, show up. And I remember sitting on the couch and I'm trying to help this guy. I'm talking to him as his, you know, his world is crumbling around him. And I'm thinking, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent right now. I, I don't, I can't get the words out. I can't, I, 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 I don't know if I'm being as helpful as I could be as a friend. And uh, I did my very best. And I don't know that he knew, you know, that I'd had too much or that I don't know that he knew or noticed anything. But that next morning when I woke up November 1st, I thought, man, I think I was useless to a friend when he needed me. And I feel terrible. I'm hungover. I'm not drinking today. And so I didn't drink that day. And then I didn't drink the next day. And then didn't the next, which was strange. I mean, I never took days off. Never, ever. Uh, didn't take weekends off, didn't take anything off. And uh, I was like closing in on a week. I thought, all right, well, let's see if we can go for a week. And and after that week, rather than going, all right, I made it. Let's do this. Let's, let's celebrate making it a week. I, I just kept going. And I've heard people say, you know, you don't choose the day. The day chooses you. And I don't know if that's right or not. I certainly don't think people with a problem should sit around waiting for the day to choose them. Um, but I didn't set out to quit drinking. I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And the further I got away from drinking, the more I looked back at it and didn't like the life that I saw behind me that I had been living. And I could see it clearly. You can't see what a monster it is when you're dancing with it. Um, but, uh, when you put some distance between you and it, man, it, the, the ugliness became very clear and, and the benefits to not doing it uh, just started stacking up. And so I never, now I'm at four, 13 months. And, uh, and, and, and initially I would have said, you know, I'm not drinking right now. And it was definitely strange for people uh, to see me out and see me not drinking or bartenders that I knew so well when I roll up to the bar. I mean, you know how it is. They don't ask you what you want because they know what you want. And uh, to, I have to get, intercept them before they make the drink and go, hey, can I just get a Diet Coke? Can I just get a and uh, they go, what, 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 what is this? You know, I go, well, I'm not I'm not drinking right now. That was as far as I would say I'm not drinking right now because I had every intention of drinking again. And after a few months of it, I, I started saying, I, I don't think I'm ever going to do it again. And um I love listening to, uh, was it, was it Leah in the last episode? Yeah. That was her name. I love how she mentioned the long stretch of not doing it. And then sort of 
having an interruption in that sobriety and then going back and now she's about to celebrate a year, you know, and I love that because now here I am 13 months in and I'm saying I'm never going to drink again. But for people who listen, who have had some restarts and stumblings along the way, just to know that it's not a once and for all thing you can, if you fall off, you can get back on. And so I'm, I'm still doing what I started doing on November 1st going, I'm not doing it today. And I don't think I'll ever do it again. I don't have any intention of doing it again. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. And it, yeah, it's very true. If, if you do fall off the, the wagon per se, then, you know, you can always make that decision to, to get back on. And I think it's also important too, to just keep things in a short perspective, you know, like for one day at a time type stuff and just do the best that, that we can today. And we'll let that, you know, we'll let tomorrow figure itself out. We get into tomorrow and next week and, becomes very overwhelming very quick i never i don't think i would have gotten to where i am right now if i had started with a mindset of all right i'm not going to drink you know i'm doing dry january or i'm you know i'm tackling uh, at our church every year from 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 good friday no i'm sorry from ash wednesday till easter sunday is this season of lent so you hear people like, oh, I'm giving up something for Lent, you know, and every year my wife will go, well, think about maybe giving up alcohol, you know, and just kind of pass that over. And I was like, no, 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 um, because I didn't want to find out I couldn't. I didn't want to try and find out that I couldn't and find out that I was addicted. Um, and I just I didn't want to tackle anything that big. So I think I got here by only trying to tackle a day at a time. Yeah. And I love that mindset going into it, too, where we make that choice every day. So we just make a, a choice and then that's how the day is going to be. And that's just a commitment. You know, that's just a commitment with yourself that you, you know, for me, I just set that out with like, this is how it's going to be. And like, you know, let the day go the way the day is going to go. This is just one thing I'm just not doing today. And, and I'll figure out tomorrow, tomorrow, no guarantees on tomorrow. I'll figure it out then. It was, I'm not doing it today. Yeah. I feel like some people too, they want to, you know, big thing is they want to figure out everything all at once. Like, what is this going to look like? What am I going to do for Christmas? What am I going to do for New Year's? Well, just figure out figure out today. It's a lot less overwhelming and get support. Man. You mentioned, too, that there was a lot of benefits and stuff that came into your life. And you are a singer, songwriter. Why don't we pop into some of that? Did you notice things change with your career when you made this this shift? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> one of the, one of the very strange, uh, unforeseen changes was when I was drinking the most, the songs I was writing were very, um, happy, feel good family songs, you know, uh, songs about my wife, about my kids, about, uh, just gratitude. They're very uplifting, positive songs. And not a lot of darkness in them at all. And, um, and yet I was feeling a lot of darkness. I was, like you said in the beginning, the good feeling that alcohol gave me on that first time, it never delivered again. And I kept paying more and more and more to get it to deliver. Uh, and it kept giving me less and less and less, you know? And so there was, I was feeling a lot of darkness and a lot of just, 
depression, anxiety, a lack of motivation to do anything. And yet I was writing these songs about a very picture perfect uh, life and a lot of gratitude and love. And, and, uh, and then when I quit drinking, the songs that started coming out of me were very dark and, uh, and very, very raw. And uh, they were the, uh, my wife calls it, they were from the, uh, are you okay, Mike department. Um, so I'd play the song for her. She's always the first one to hear it. And, and when I was done, I go, do you like it? And she'd go, I mean, are you all right? <laughs> you know? And um, so it, that was a very strange thing. I think maybe when I finally quit, when I quit drinking, all of that stuff that was inside of me was able to come out. All that stuff I've been carrying around inside of me, I was able to articulate. And um, so I'm, I'm in a better headspace than I've ever been in my entire life. Um, but a lot of what I've been creating and writing has been, I, I think, an unpacking of the stuff I was carrying around during those years and years of, of, of drinking alcohol to cover up what I was feeling. For sure. I could see that being a thing. It's like therapy for you. Yeah. And I think maybe, you know, being very honest about, hey, I used to drink too much and now I don't drink anymore. I don't have that story to hide anymore. So it frees me up to be honest about about everything and what. I, so when I write now, I don't have this subconscious feeling that I got to write like I have a perfect life because I'm not hiding that anymore. Yeah. I did start um, one or two days in again, because I never took breaks one, two days into sobriety was a big, I was, you know, it was a big thing for me. And I started making notes every day. Uh, I just pulled up my iPhone. I wrote sobriety is. And, and each day I wrote like something I noticed that day as I it was, it was a sober day. And, and I was like, oh, you know, and some of them were pretty heavy. The very I'm looking at it right now. And the very first one was sobriety is not dying for something worthless um, because I was thinking that day of just, you know, I had been on the road driving while drinking, going back and forth to that friend's house the night before. And I could have I could have died. I could have I could have caused someone else all for what, you know, for for something worthless, uh, something that would take everything and give me nothing. Um, but then some of them, uh, I'm looking down, uh, sobriety is reading with Turner. That was my, that is my son. And, uh, as a dad, you know, when I was drinking, I had no energy to do anything, you know, uh, Hey dad, do you want to, you want to read together? Um, do you want to, you want to play catch? I was like, what? My default was, why don't we just sit here and watch something together? You know, because uh, that required the least amount of mental, physical, anything from me. And um, and so when I walked away from that, all of a sudden I had the energy, you know, past 4 p.m., 5 p.m., 6 p.m., I'd have the energy to to go, hey, yeah, let's read together. Let's go outside and throw the football or, or whatever. So, yeah, I got a long list of, of benefits that that I noticed that first month. Yeah, that's a great idea. I love that where you keep track of the benefits that you're that you're experiencing in your life because that helps us, you know, stay on the path if we're experiencing good benefits from not drinking alcohol, then we're more likely to stay on that path and if we're aware of those benefits, even more likely to stay on that path. So, 
think that's an incredible idea, incredible thing you did there. And I think it's just great as well. The more people who are sharing their story and their struggle with alcohol just reduces the stigma that is around the whole issue. Yeah, and gosh, the more people are honest about it, the more, you know, because coming out and saying, I have a problem with alcohol, it was, to your point, back then, that would be basically saying, okay, so I'm putting myself in the camp of the the hobo, the under the bridge, you know, sleeping on newspaper. And so it, if I'm not ready to say I'm basically like that, then I can't then I can't be honest and say, but now the more people that come out and go, hey, I had a problem. I had a problem. I hit it very well. And and um, the more the more we're honest with each other, the more people feel like they can be honest with us. So I think you opening up this space and having people on to, to tell their stories. When, when I listen to Leah's story, I hear my story. When I listen to your story, I hear my story. And it tells us all that we're, we're not alone and we have the freedom to, to connect with one another um, and not be ashamed of, of, of our stories. So, man, I'm so glad that you're doing this. And uh, I, yeah, thank you for letting me tell a little bit of my story. I hope that just like it's happened for me as I've listened to others, I hope that people out there can, can hear their own story and mine as well. I mean, I've had a great life and I could have thrown it all away. And, and to some extent I wasted many years of it. You know, I think about my daughter learning to ride a bike or, or all the, the, the games that I, that I sat through and I was just not fully present there because I had been drinking. And I mean, I, I did lose a lot of it, but I could have lost a lot more and it, would have been a shock to everyone around me because nobody knew what a problem that it was. I mean, I work at a church for crying out loud, you know, I look like I have the perfect life. And, uh, and yet that was something that was slowly pulling me under. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I appreciate you for doing this as well. What, what is it like though? I'm wondering, I mean, music performing and stuff, a lot of that is, you know, bars, alcohol. What is that yeah. like for you now? It was strange. One of the coolest things I'm very grateful for it is I did not realize that I had a chemical dependency on it when I left it, when I walked away from it. I never had any kind of withdrawal. The only thing I had was just a very strong sense of weirdness. You know, like you said, it had woven its way into every aspect of my life. You know, um, you scroll through pictures of me over the last 10 years, there's going to be a cocktail in frame all the time. It was where it, it, it was why I chose to eat or eat where I chose to eat was if they'd sell, you know, sold alcohol. I hated finding out I was having to go someplace I couldn't order a drink. Um, so there was a very sense of weirdness being in these environments. Like you said, with music, I'm in clubs and bars a lot. And to be there and not be drinking is weird but it doesn't make me want to do it. Um, I can be around other people and I know this is not the same for everyone, but for me, I can be around people who are drinking. It has never made me want to drink more. Um, I was 
just on vacation in Mexico with my family. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's all these little, these little moments you go, man, I can't believe I'm going to go to Mexico. I'm going to spend a week at this resort. I'm not going to have a margarita. Are, are you kidding me? I, I love margaritas, you know, it's so strange. And, uh, and my wife was like, you know what? Okay. Well, I'm not going to do it either. I'm not going to have anything either. And, and, and I can only speak for myself, but for me, it didn't matter. I was like, no, go ahead. I don't care. Like you have one. You, it doesn't matter. Does you having one does not make me want to have one more. I already want to have one. Um, and you not having one would not help me to not want to have one less. It doesn't make me want to have one less, you know? So being around it does not really has not, I'm very grateful. And I know that's not the same for everybody. But for me, it's been weird to be around it a lot and not be participating in it because I was I was the head participator all the time. Um, but but it has not necessarily been hard. I just had to overcome the initial weirdness. And I found that I don't want to. Not with music, but just with socializing in general, I don't want to go and sit at a bar by myself anymore. And I used to love doing that. I would sit there for hours and talk to the bartender, chat up the people around me, read on my phone. And uh, ever since I quit drinking, all of a sudden, my love for hanging out with the bartender and meeting people and reading on my phone, turns out I didn't love that as much as I pretended to. I just loved the freedom to sit someplace and drink. Yeah, the escape, right? It's uh, Yeah, I mean, once you're there, there's so much going on. And you don't have to really think about what's going on with, with us. Right. Exactly. That distraction part. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Yeah. I mean, everybody shares definitely a different story about whether they're comfortable or, or, you know, where they are with things. Did you, uh, did you have a, a lack of desire people that you would genuinely like, like very fond of this person, but a lack of desire to hang out with them if they didn't drink? if they didn't, um, you know, participate in the things that you participated in with substances. Yeah. I mean, I think over time, yeah, everybody of everybody around would have, would be part of that story. If I, I, I could love somebody, but if they didn't drink, it was sort of like a wet blanket on the idea of hanging out with them at all. And, uh, and then when I quit drinking, I was like, Oh wait, now I'm the wet blanket. <laughs> I realized certain people, that I was very close to, you know, just sort of didn't call me to hang out anymore. Yeah. I mean, same story here. Yeah. Same story. I mean, I kind of started my life over to like in a whole different place up here in Canada now. So I had to like rebuild from um, the beginning, but yeah, I mean, it's same sort of idea. I mean, it's good for me. It's good and bad. You know, I like the energy people bring. I rather sit around Instead of talking to bartenders, I'd rather sit around and talk about what like we're gonna do with our life, improve our life, spend time with with um, you know, with my kids and a lot of, you know, other buddies that in that do the other stuff. They I don't know, man. It just was a kind of a culture to it, the drinking culture. Yeah. Um, you wanna sit I've... around, you know, talk about why we aren't where we where we should be, you know, while we're doing absolutely nothing to be where we wanna be type deal, you know. I would just yeah. It was freeing to get away from kind of those conversations for me personally. Man, I had not even until you mentioned it. Now I'm just running back. How many hundreds, thousands of hours of sitting at the bar drinking and yeah, talking about why you're not where you want to be, but not doing anything to get yourself there. 
Yeah, that was my life for a long time. And that was sort of one of the things that led up to me for for recovery too, was just that I had this feeling, this subconscious sort of thinking feeling that I could do something with my life, but I had failed so many times, like, you know, education. My first time I got arrested, I was 16, you know, and it was like on probation and it was like, I went to treatment and I had mental health struggle. Like everything was just like piling up. And it was like, I never felt like I was going to succeed at anything. But someday, man, it was kind of like what you said that the day chooses us and, and not to be a, a motto for people to live by to wait around because this stuff can definitely kill you before that day comes. You know, that day kind of came, buddy. And I, I woke up one morning and I just I was just thinking differently. And I was like, I'm going to give it a shot for I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to ask for some help. I'm going to get, you know, honest. Everybody knew kind of my, I was living on my brother's floor in his apartment. So everybody kind of knew my life was relatively a mess, right? I couldn't hold a job and it was a disaster, but I mean, it was just one day. It wasn't, it was one day I woke up and I'm like, man, I, I have to do something different with my life. I have to see if I can bring something to this world instead of take from it every day of my life and started the journey. Yeah. And then I, I ran into a bunch of other problems after that. And I went to I went to prison for a year in the US. And then I was deported after that. You know, for well, stuff that had happened be, uh, prior to um, it starting for me, you know, it caught up some th some things you can't get away from even if you get even if you get sober. Yeah, some paper trails still still follow you. But you know, everything was sort of a, a a blessing and it was like extreme gratitude, not in the moment of things, but looking back. Yeah, it was like, wow, you know, things are happening for me, not to me. And it just was a big changing the way I was thinking and not not playing a victim anymore. You know, it was a lot of aspects went into it, but. It's been great. What so what's next on um on the music scene? Are we are we writing right now or what's coming up? Yeah. Yeah, man, this is like this is literally where I sit and uh, and write. I kind of discipline myself to sit down every day and um, and uh, and write um, for an hour. I just go for an hour um, uh, after an hour of, of, of working on lyrics and, and melodies I, I start hitting this kind of point of diminishing returns. So if I just put an hour in a day, I, I see the ball move down the field and so yeah, I'm writing. I, I, a show was just announced today at the Buckhead Theater in Atlanta, which has been a dream and a goal of mine for years to play. And uh, the Live Nation uh, picked it up and, and gave me a headlining show at this really cool venue. So, um, uh, so February 10th at the Buckhead Theater, I'll be doing that. And uh, I got a, a sold out Christmas show a week from tonight in Highlands, North Carolina. Um, that's put on by the old Edwards Inn. Uh, so that's really cool. And yeah, man, um, good things are happening. But uh, yeah, so I got a Christmas song out and I got a big show. I'm super excited about it. Uh, if you want to come down, man, I'll fly you down for the show. I, I, I need butts and seats and uh, I'll, I'll get you down there. But um, February 10th at the Buckhead Theater in Atlanta. So any any Georgia Georgia listeners can come out. Do you have anything you want to play for us or? Oh, I just picked this up. Because something you were uh, saying reminded me of a, of, of, of a, of a, a verse of a song that I wrote. Um, and now I can't remember what you were saying that 
reminded me of it, but it was, uh, it says, uh, every day I need to feel something so I don't feel the things that I must really feel. This world's a drugstore of distractions. You just reach for one and tell yourself it's real. You can take a drink, a smoke, a pill, a screen, a show. You can't sleep with someone you don't even know. But when you start to come back down, with your mind still hanging around, boy, you're gonna feel the real thing now. So yeah, it's that idea of, um, I think that was me. Every day I needed to feel something to keep me from feeling what I really felt. And so it was how soon can I, can I take the medicine of that first drink and keep that flowing through my veins until I go to sleep. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, it was alcohol for, for other people, it's pills or, or other drugs. And some people it's just sex, streaming, streaming Netflix, whatever. Um, but the world is a, it's a drugstore of distractions, but, but you do have your mind hanging around when you come, when you come back down from whichever distraction it is, you know, that, that mind is, is going to be there waiting for you. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. That's so true. I mean, we're adding new and new distractions into our life every day on, on that topic though. I'm wondering what were you running from? Like, were, have you been able to figure something out here of what you were trying to avoid all these years? Man, that's such a great question. I would say whatever it was, 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 you know, I don't have any external things that would make someone look at my life and go, yeah, I get it. You know, he's destitute, you know, the only way he can feel good about his life would be to escape it. And, uh, you know, I don't, people would want to kick my ass for thinking that I want to escape this life because I have a really, really great life. Um, so whatever I was running from was inside. And, you know, you mentioned sort of, not being the the maybe I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but in high school, not being the guy that was super interesting that people wanted to talk to. And, um, you know, I said early on in, in our conversation, I was the new kid everywhere I went. We didn't have much money. I had thrift store clothes. So I was I was really insecure that I wasn't anybody that anyone would want to talk to or be interested in that. there You know, I wasn't super smart. I wasn't the athlete in high school. Uh, I didn't come from the family that everybody knew. And, and so I didn't really have anything to distinguish me and to make me stand out. And when I drank, I felt more interesting. I felt less self-conscious about who I was. Um, I felt more confident. It was <laughs> misplaced confidence, you know, the, the classic guy who thinks he's just killing it um, in conversation. And everyone is just, you know waiting for him to stop. But uh, I think, I think I was running from insecurity, never having dealt with those, those feelings that were ingrained in me as a child that I, that I was nothing, nothing special. There was nothing interesting about me to recommend me to this world. Those feelings went away. It's, you don't grow out of those feelings. You know, it's not like you turn 21 and go, okay, you know, put that away. 
I'm 45 and just now working through the in, those insecurities. Yeah, no, and that's a great point too. They don't go away. I feel like they just kind of transform. Uh, it might yeah. not fitting in in high school, but now it's, you know, fitting in and feeling, you know, that accept yourself and stuff. That was a big thing for me. Like when I look back at like what could have possibly made a difference and I don't like live in the past or anything like that. But when I look back and I think about everything that was done, right. When I was in grade five, we had the dare program. So you would yeah. look at the impact of drugs and then, you know, through high school. And then we had the just say no campaign, the war on drugs, it, it, different things. You know, I, I think a big thing to help young people is if we worked on building a purpose for people. I feel like if I went back and I had a purpose in life that wasn't based on me not making the, the school soccer team or wasn't based on what grade I got on a test or wasn't based on whether or not I could behave in school, you know, then maybe I would have felt like that for myself that I had a purpose. But when I got out of high school and when I went into college, I, I got kicked out of college. I got evicted from my first apartment. It was just like thing you know, not to play a victim, but just a thing after a thing. I was like, man, like, when am I going to catch a break? Like, yeah. you know, when am I, I going to catch my break? And I just feel like I just didn't have that, you know, and I didn't grow up around my stories, you know, a lot like yours. Like I can't ever remember when I was younger, seeing my parents drink or do drugs or anything. I mean, they did, but I never saw it. It was never something that was there for me then. But I mean, it's, you know, same, I can relate to it too. I mean, for the insecurities for, a lot of stuff I use drugs and, and alcohol to, you know, kind of fit in. And then it's an interesting journey, man. It's an interesting journey when you take that away. You're, you're one thing and you start to learn about yourself. You know, you learn things you like and you learn some things that, you know, you don't. I did anyway. Yeah. I think, you know, what you're saying about purpose, I think, and again, I'm just working this out as I'm talking. But as you said it, I was thinking, you know, the times... I really never thought about drinking um, were when I was getting ready for a show, when I was playing a show, when I was, when I had purpose, you know, when I was actually leaning into the way God made me, what I'm gifted at, what I can do. I didn't need or want alcohol in those moments. Uh, and so I think a sense of purpose really you know, is a game changer for people who are struggling with addiction. Um, because if you don't have a sense of purpose, uh, addiction, substance, alcohol is happy to step in and be a seat filler um, for as long as you will keep him around. But having a sense of purpose really took the desire for, for the seat filler away. Yeah, I feel the same way for me once I was able to have something else to you know, drive the bus, then I, I, I feel a lot better about it. And I feel confident and comfortable in my decisions. And I just don't feel a need to really burn my life to the ground. You know, even though every day my mind tells me I should <laughs> be a great idea if you just burn your life um, <laughs> to the ground. And it's interesting. But look, I, I really appreciate this, Mike. This has been incredible. And I love that little track that you that you played, too. Yeah, I just you struck. It made me think of it when you were talking. Um, yeah, thanks for, man. I, I'll talk to you anytime. Thank you so much. I'm glad we're pals. Truly. Yes. Yeah, and I I love. I said, don't come south without letting me know. Yeah, man. I I love other creators and other artists too. 
you know, I kind of consider my myself a creator and a completely different than than your craft. But mm -hmm. I really but I really love artists and creators and people who, you know, I, I see you as a guy who puts your your heart on your sleeve with your music, the stuff I've checked out. And I feel like that really opens up the doors and can open up the doors for people that are there, right? Like you're sharing this stuff about what it was, what it was like and some of these heavy emotions and some of this stuff. And people are really going through this stuff. Like that's a reality. And I mean, coming up on the holidays too, a lot of people I've come, I've come in, uh, you know, cross paths with over the years. A lot of people get sober from the 20th to the second. I would say the most sober days are between there is because that time is really when you go all in with your addiction and it really, you kind of wake up after, after, oh. you know, that, and you're like, I got to change something. So a lot of people are going to be going through it. And I feel that. What would you say to somebody though, from your experience, what would you say is like, well, we'll end on this. What would you say is, you know, one or two things that you could put out there that, Hey, if somebody's struggling to get or stay sober, what would you say, say to them? Uh, a couple things. One that's just been kind of rolling around in my mind is um, if you're wondering if you drink too much or if you're wondering if you have a problem with addiction, the way, the surefire way to know is if anyone has ever told you that you have a problem <laughs> with addiction or that you drink too much, you do. Um, you know, it's so easy to get defensive and, and to, to discredit the person telling us. But, uh, you know, if someone has told you that they didn't want to tell you that that was difficult for them. They see this as a problem that is big enough for them to uh, endure the awkwardness, endure your possible anger. Um, so that's a surefire way to know is if anyone has ever told you that you have a problem, you you probably have a problem. You have a problem. Um, but, uh, you know, for someone who's wanting to, to, to do it, I'd say tell somebody. You know, you can't handle it alone. You, If you could have done it yourself, you would have by now. So be honest about it, especially for people that you know that it will be a shock for anyone to hear that you have a problem. If you've been really good at managing it, if you surround yourself with people who work for you and who don't really have a right to, to weigh in and tell you what to do, um, then it will be very easy for you to continue burning your life down to the ground. Um, but you need to tell somebody if you could have handled it and, and, you know, it's again, for people who are, you handle your business, you handle your family, you make a ton of money, whatever. It's easy to think I'm so capable. I can handle this as well. You can't, you need to tell somebody and talk to somebody and, uh, and, and just be honest, be honest about it. You know, there's amazing power to walk away from addiction as soon as you're honest about having a problem. Um, there's, there's, there's power in saying it out loud, saying it to someone else. I, I have a problem. Um, then it gives you amazing power to make a turn. And then the last thing I would say, Brad, is just, it's so easy. The older we get, it's easy to think, well, this is just the way I am. If I haven't conquered it by now, I'm not going to, if I haven't made a change by now, I'm not going to, um, that's, that's not true. As long as you're on this side of the dirt, you can make a change today. You know, if, if it's stirring around in your mind to make a change um, today, it could be your day. Just 
it starts with the decision. It's never too late to make a turnaround. It's never too late to make a life-changing decision. And, and for millions of people who have walked this road before me or before you would say, you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to get sober. You know, you're, it's not just you. It is, it is the people who love you. It is your kids, your wife. It is your best friends. It is people that you haven't even met yet. All of this hangs in the. It is the stuff that you could create, the lives that you could change. I mean, for crying out loud, you're exhibit A, Brad. The lives that you change, that all hung in the balance of your decision that day, waking up feeling different and going, okay, I think I'm turning around. It's like throwing a rock into the water, the ripple effect of, of, making that decision to help other people. And, and it's true too, because it does affect everybody around us. It does affect everybody around us. And yeah, surround yourself with good people. Surround yourself with people who are going to be honest with you about what's going on. But it's so easy for us. And throughout the years, you know, I did it. I did this really well. I just intertwined with people who co-signed, who went along <laughs> with my story. And if, if you weren't wanting to go along with it, then I probably would would create some distance there. But and I think people know too, you know, I think, you know, I think there's an element, there's a little voice that turns on from time to time after those bad nights or those really bad hangovers and the anxiety is just getting out of bed. It's so overwhelming. And you have those little thoughts of, I can do better. I should be doing something different. I can be better. This is not the way, you know, and just, Instead of just shutting them down, lean into that a little bit, like lean into it and, and start, you know, asking those questions. I mean, so much powerful stuff. Thank you so much again, Mike. Man, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, that was another incredible, incredibly powerful story from Mike. Wow. That was a lot. Mike, Mike dropped a lot and Mike really was really honest with us during that episode. And I can't thank him enough because I feel like this is going to be helpful for so many people just to hear the story, not, not even the advice and the, the other stuff that he, he brought to the episode, but just his story is a very powerful story. And I want to let you guys go today with a, with one of Mike's tracks. He was kind enough to share some of his songs with us. It's really hard to pick. He sent three songs. I think they're all amazing, but I really like what he wrote about this one. Just getting started. That's the name of it. Hopeful. Even when you look down and out, you might be able to make your biggest and best move. That's directly from Mike. So see you guys later in the week. And here it is. <laughs> When I was younger Dreaming kept my heart from going under But I got older The world got colder It makes me wonder Oh, I was waiting a summer shining moment The door that held my future would come right open And I'm still standing here 
with the weight of fear that I'm holding Everything I ever touch just winds up broken Everyone I ever loved cut me wide open Even though you think you see me broken hearted Just keep watching I'm just getting started Just coming up. 